from the CPRI Knowledge Hub and CPRIHub.org. This is Research Minutes, a deep dive into new and important research in the realm of education. I'm Peter Horn. Today we look at teacher preparation programs and the evolving ways in which they are evaluated. While programs were once gauged by criteria like licensing exam scores and teacher retention, states are now using multi-outcome measures, including teacher evaluation ratings, to assess program quality. And it's really been, for the most part, inputs and maybe some very proximal outcomes like licensure exam pass rate. It's really only in the last decade, maybe a little bit more now, where it started to, to branch out and, and really follow those teachers into the, the workforce and consider their workforce outcomes. We welcome Kevin Bastion, UNC researcher and associate director of the Education Policy Initiative at Carolina. Bastion recently led a statewide study of the relationships between teacher preparation programs and their graduates' evaluation ratings after entering the workforce. Part of the reason we wanted to add evaluation ratings was hopefully to present a more nuanced or comprehensive perspective of program effectiveness, multiple outcomes. Uh, in a way, we, we sort of thought and still consider that evaluation ratings can sort of address some of the weaknesses with value added. Bastion sits down with CPRI Senior Research Specialist and University of Wisconsin-Madison researcher Peter Goff to discuss his findings and their potential implications for researchers, policymakers, and practitioners. That's right now on Research Minutes. I'm Peter Goff, an assistant professor from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and your guest host for this edition of CPRI's Research Minutes. Today, I'll be speaking with Kevin Bastian, the associate director of the Education Policy Initiative at Carolina, to discuss his recent work on the evaluation of teacher preparation programs. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to Research Minutes. Hi, Peter. Really nice to be here. Your article, written with co-authors Christina Patterson and Yi Pan, is titled Evaluating Teacher Preparation Programs with Teacher Evaluation Ratings, Implications for Program Accountability and Improvement. And it speaks to an issue that has received quite a bit of attention lately, uh, namely that how can we evaluate teacher preparation programs? And the idea of evaluating educator preparation programs has been underway for about the last 30 years, but it's encountered little empirical success. Can you give us a bit of background on the evaluation of teacher preparation programs and what's led to this renewed interest in the area? In terms of what's led to the renewed interest, I think researchers have, have been able to access to a lot of administrative data that has come out of the last 10 to 15 years focused on student test scores linked to teachers. You can eventually link those teachers to their education programs, for instance. I think that's been a, a, a real driver in some of this research. And, and states with the task force, North Carolina, Louisiana, were states that were leading in some of that work and having some of that test score, student test score data. I think in terms historically, as you said, work going back to the legislation and, and, and pieces of that going back to the 60s that thought about evaluating educative preparation. And it's really been with, for the most part, inputs for a long period really only in the last decade, maybe a little bit more now, where it started to, to branch out and, and really follow those teachers or those graduates from educative prep programs into the workforce and consider their workforce outcomes. And some of this recent work has been done with value added, as you mentioned. What's, what's been the synopsis of, of that work? So, so look at you know, teacher value added and, and educative preparation programs. There's been some varied perspectives on it, I think, over the last decade or so. If you go back 10 years, you look at some of the earlier work 
work that we did in North Carolina, work that George Noel and others did in Louisiana, or the Boyd, Wyckoff, and Lowe group did in New York City, and, and some of that work would have suggested there was some meaningful variation across programs and the effectiveness of their graduates. More recent work in Texas, a few other places, has challenged that a little bit. I think to some extent, a little bit of both true, in the sense that most of the variation in teacher effectiveness is within preparation programs rather than between programs. You know, so if you to put histograms on top of each other, they're, they're largely right on top of each other, right? And maybe some real interesting work that needs to be ongoing is sort of figuring out why there's that wide variation, of course, within programs and what can we learn about that. And in a way that it would almost make sense that there isn't variation between programs when we think about the, all the emphasis that teacher education has on licensure and certification and standards-based education, where if all the programs are teaching to the same standards, if they're all teaching the same licensure exams, they're all meeting the same requirements, that you might expect that variation wouldn't be there. But like you mentioned, not only do we see have some mixed evidence on variation between programs, there's also a lot of variation within programs. You know, if we can identify programs that are doing something better, we want to be able to look at what they're doing, what are their practices, and be able to share that information out. But this research, and I think this is true when we look at any domain of research where we have competing findings, it's usually because it's hard work to do. And the evaluation of teacher preparation programs is riddled with challenges to researchers, not least of which is how to determine the appropriate outcome measure. Now, other studies have used uh, teacher matriculation, right, moving from the teacher preparation program into the workforce, teacher retention in the workforce in the first year or beyond, and as you mentioned more recently, measures of teacher's contribution to student learning value added. Your study uses a different outcome measure. Can you tell us what you used and how this improves on prior measures? Certainly, and I think it certainly improves some. I think more of what it does is just continue to round out the perspective more than anything else. I think any sort of model, if you will, of trying to estimate teacher effectiveness or program effectiveness is sort of a model of approximating something, and it's going to come with positives and negatives. But what we were able to use in North Carolina is the state's relatively new statewide teacher evaluation system, sort of being created during Race to the Top in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of the uh, winning Race to the Top states. And beginning in the 10-11 school year, and then even more officially in the 11-12 school year, and since to the current, has had five professional teaching standards on which teachers are rated. Early career teachers that like we're focusing on in our work are rated on all five standards. Those standards are our leadership, classroom environment, content knowledge, facilitating student learning, and teachers reflecting on their practice. They're rated technically from a one to five, which is sort of a not demonstrated all the way up to a distinguished for early career teachers, like we're talking about here. Generally, the rating is a, sort of a modal rating is proficient, and then you have sort of accomplished the real variation in the ratings, and, and that's always something that's been a, a question mark, if you will, or a real threat to evaluation ratings is the extent to which there's variation in how principals are rating teachers. The real variation we see is really between proficient and accomplished, which is rating levels three and four in North Carolina. So now that you've solved the outcome quandary, what are some of the other challenges that you anticipated when analyzing your data, and what steps did you take to, to mitigate those threats? Some of the challenges have to do with teachers selecting into preparation programs, obviously, different teachers with different demographics, etc., some things that are observable and some that aren't. Certainly, teachers go from different preparation programs going into different types of schools, raters with different tendencies, raters typically being principals, sometimes being assistant principals, but you know, as some sort of school administrator, there's a statewide system, there's a rubric, but there's going to be fluctuations on still how teachers get evaluated. We're fortunate to have access to a nice set of school personnel characteristics who can control characteristics of the teacher, etc. 
also have access to school characteristics that we can leverage, which set of school characteristics that we can leverage in analyses. And then, as we did in the paper, we'll really play with several different modeling approaches, whether it was sort of a nested model, teachers nested within ratings over time, and then, or ratings sort of nested within teachers, and teachers nested within schools, or some sort of school fixed effect to sort of be comparing within schools and, and sort of within sort of raters in that sense. The rater problem is definitely a challenge. So being able to look at sort of isolating the variation to just within schools, within that one rater, that one principle, seems like an important step. And you're also able to make the claim that evaluation ratings are a function of preparation quality, not just the selection into programs, which is, is a response to the potential criticism that, you know, we create a ranking system, but all we're really doing is identifying the universities that are capable of selecting the best students. And then they go out and the universities haven't really done anything. They just, the students that were stronger there are now stronger teachers and we haven't really learned anything. How were we able to separate those two? I think we made good efforts towards that. We're, we're really focusing our sort of our focal group, our individuals prepared as public institutions, so the University of North Carolina system institutions. So there's 15 of those across the state of North Carolina that are producing future teachers. And with data from the UNC system, we can know a little bit more. Typically, we're really just talking about demographics and academic credentials sort of at entry into teacher education. You know, that's going to include things like SAT and ACT scores, high school GPA, high school class rank, Praxis 1, or sort of pre-professional licensure exam scores. We're attempting to use that mix of characteristics as a way to control for an individual, not just at the program level, but an individual teacher candidate's ability, if you will, as a proxy. And so we, we have that we have that measure, we control for it in the models, and it helps us try to net out differences. Because really, what we see in other work we've done here in North Carolina, and, and there's definitely academic differences across programs. You have UNC Chapel Hill, NC State, you have five uh, historically black colleges and universities in the UNC system. What we really see is fairly stark differences across those institutions in academic competitiveness, if you will, if you're measuring it with some of those characteristics I talked about, but very little variation within those institutions in people who are education majors and people who are in another major. Um, so it's definitely sort of something we were concerned about, you know, this cross-institution issue. I think we do a fairly good job of attempting to account for it, but I think there is still some concern that when you look at our results, those programs who are still receiving the highest ratings are sort of on average those who have higher academic credentials of their candidates and those who are receiving lower ratings are those who don't. So it's a mixed bag and again because we're not in those classrooms with the principals it's a little hard again to exactly say what we're getting. So let's jump into the, the findings. What are some of the major takeaways that, that you found from your research? Part of the reason we wanted to add evaluation ratings was hopefully to present a more nuanced or comprehensive perspective of program effectiveness, multiple outcomes. In a way, we, we sort of thought and still considered that evaluation ratings can sort of address some of the weaknesses with value added. I think another reason from a state perspective why this is valuable is North Carolina, like a lot of states, you know, a report card for an educated prep program that the State Department of Public Instruction is going to put out. It's descriptive and not research. And really all I mean by that is they're going to report the percentage of early career graduates from a given institution who were proficient, essentially. That's what the state report card is going to say for a given institution. It doesn't control for anything. It doesn't try to account for school context or anything else. And so that leads to, I think, one of our key findings is, much like in value-added, you wouldn't want to sort of attribute just base student test scores to an individual teacher or program and not account for anything. I think, and we were able to show this in our work, that when you start to think about using evaluation ratings in some meaningful way for educated prep programs, it needs to be done in a way that you're accounting for context. 
when we control for school characteristics and other features, results results sort of straight back towards the middle. Generally, the programs that were rated really, really highly when we weren't controlling for school characteristics, they're still statistically significant, but they're coming back down a little bit. Programs that were rated lower, they're often still rated lower, but less so when we're controlling for characteristics of that school context. And so I think that's really important to think about from a policy perspective, when I think that's not really happening with evaluation ratings. They're just sort of taken as raw data. I have to admit, when I was reading through your paper, I, I appreciated seeing both of those uh, side by side, can, the results with the school controls and the results without, because there is a part of me that being aware that the sorting that goes on in the teacher labor market and the phenomena that disadvantaged contexts tend to have teachers that are less likely to be certified through years of education on multiple measures tend to be weaker teachers. That's the sort of sorting that's going on. And then you control for context, you might be artificially buffering, making teachers that are weaker actually look better. So in a way, what you're presenting could be also considered like a bounded analysis. Like you have a sort of a, a best case scenario, the most optimistic approach is controlling for school characteristics. And then you have a more a more liberal approach where you don't. And either one of them has merits, but looking at being able to see them side by side and see how it changes things, I think is, is where some of the real interesting uh, findings come from as well. I think you're right. So much of this comes into not how you do it, but what you're going to use the information for. If what you're going to use it for is some sort of high-stakes decision, I think you lean towards controlling for things because hypothetically some of those things, many of those things you're controlling for school characteristics are not within the control of the educator prep program. So speaking of high-stakes, when we introduced this as a topic, we said some of the reasons that people might be interested in uh, evaluating teacher preparation programs could be from a, a formative perspective, that we want to look at the programs that are strongest and learn from them, be able to identify them and learn from them. But there is also quite a bit of talk of their federal funds being attached to these evaluation ratings, uh, if we can agree on one, and all sorts of internal state budget allocation decisions being associated with this, and, and also to provide it, uh, and this is also sort of high stakes, but being able to just make these results public so that candidates to these programs can see them and be aware of them when they're applying and trying to identify where to go. So how would you how would you think about using this as a component of how would it contribute to in, in eva an overall evaluation of teacher education programs in a high stakes context? I think it's a legitimate data measure, one of probably multiple certainly that should be used in some sort of weighted composite fashion. And there's there's certain states, I think Delaware, perhaps Tennessee, who are uh, taking a little bit more lead even than, than North Carolina, certainly, in, sort of, in thinking about what those elements should be and how they should hypothetically being weighted, but I certainly think that evaluation ratings, their strengths in terms of relative to value added in particular, almost all teachers have to get an evaluation rating, right? That's a real strength. Because if, if you're a program, you might say, well, you've held us accountable for our value added effectiveness of our teachers, but that's only 32% of our graduates. It's hard to make that same claim when almost every teacher gets an evaluation, right? I think hypothetically, what's conceptually nice about evaluation ratings typically is there are multiple evaluation Again, in North Carolina, there's five. And with the Danielson framework, which some states or districts use, you'll see the four, things like that. There's a level of granularity, hypothetically, which actually I think is probably a little bit more helpful for program improvement purposes than program accountability purposes, but that granularity is still nice. So those types of features, I think, make conceptually evaluation ratings attractive and an important piece that could go into an accountability framework. Kevin, thanks for sharing your time and insights on this important issue. Looking forward to future work here. Thank you very much, Peter. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by CPRE Knowledge Hub. 
For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, visit us at cprehub.org. That's C-P-R-E-Hub.org. To hear more of me, Peter Horn, you can follow the Point of Learning podcast on your favorite streaming service or at horneddconsulting.org. To share your thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, find the CPRI Knowledge Hub on Twitter at CPRI Hub. We look forward to you joining the conversation.